0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom slash socks. Brush is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra gentle bristles, the brush redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave a dentist,
1: a fresh whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with the code POD15. Follow the link to the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. The Oracle Network
0: Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel.
1: Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm sleepy. I'm trying to finish my highly caffeinated tea because I cut out coffee. Mm. I shouldn't tell you that I'm drinking
0: my second cup of coffee.
1: You absolutely can. I just tried to cut out coffee because, I don't know, I don't like being dependent on something. So hardcore. So I'm transitioning to tea and then hopefully lowering the caffeine content on the tea. That's fair. Of course, so good, but I'm on like the most caffeinated tea possible. <laughs> so it's a slow, slow process.
0: So we are doing two episodes for Darren of the Weird Darkness podcast because. Yeah. He was our second highest donor for our equipment fund. So he doesn't know that we're doing two episodes for him, but we're doing two episodes for him. Surprise. Surprise, Darren. Hope
1: you enjoy it.
0: So this week we are going to be talking about the history of seeking sanctuary in England.
1: Oh my God, I love this. Sanctuary. That's the only thing I could think of is sanctuary.
0: (laughs) And that's what it is. All right. Yeah, it was a very interesting deep dive that I went down.
1: I bet. I bet there are several rabbit holes you could have gone into. hmm I tried not to go too
0: deep in a few of them so that we could potentially cover the cases in more detail in a future episode, but I tried to give Ooh. a little bit of teasers. All righty. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2019 history article by Becky Little. 2018 Durham Cathedral blog post. 2015, Alice Obscura article by Eric Grundhauser. 2013, English legal history blog post by Ben Darlow. A digital reprint of an article on, quote, the right of sanctuary, in quote, from old church lore by William Andrews, which was originally printed in 1891. Dang. Britannica website and Wikipedia. And I have like three different articles that I linked to from Wikipedia because I had to go down a couple different rabbit holes and just, double check my facts so it makes sense all and links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes in the 13th century committing murder would end in your immediate execution no surprise there
1: eye for an eye but not if you hid
0: inside a christian church what? <laughs> <laughs> however the act of seeking asylum isn't as simple a concept as it first appears The rite to sanctuary is a practice that lasted well into the 17th century, but in fact, the tradition stems back much further than that. Originally, natural locations, such as hills or groves, were believed to be divine or sacred and served as natural sanctuaries for a number of ancient peoples. The concept of sanctuary was later extended to man-made structures. In Egyptian, Greek, and Roman society, runaway slaves and low-level criminals would be welcomed at any of the gods' temples. And in ancient Hebraic traditions, they actually declared six cities as places where criminals could seek refuge from the law. Those
1: like large cities instead of just
0: a church. Yep, instead of just a temple. So those included Golan, Ramoth, and Basar on the left bank of the Jordan River, and Kadesh, Shechem and Hebron on the right bank. Nice. Had some options. Mm-hmm. Additionally, the sacred lodges of the Algonquin and the Sioux were also seen as sanctuaries and were reserved for special religious ceremonies and as sites of refuge.
1: Nice.
0: The concept of asylum comes from the belief that gods the gods are infallible, thereby making their temples and holy sites untouchable as well. This doesn't mean that just anyone could enter a holy site. Anyone seeking asylum had to petition for sanctuary with the understanding that they would atone for their sins and pay a form of penance for the crimes they committed.
1: Oh, what's the
0: penance? Well, well, kind it kind of depends on the... Your uh, life! <laughs> on, on the peoples. <laughs> so with that thought in mind, ancient cultures believed that any who resided within any of these holy sites, such as criminals, debtors, escaped slaves... Priests, or even just ordinary people, would be protected.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In Athens, for example, several places offered refuge for criminals, especially ill treated slaves. Some of the best known are the Temple of Theseus, the Altar of Pity, the Altar of the Twelve Gods, and the Altar of Artemis.
1: Interesting. Artemis.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. In ancient Rome, the right of asylum was generally confined to slaves. Antonius Pius decreed that if a slave in a province fled to a temple of the gods or a statue of the emperor to avoid the ill usage of his master, Praces could intercede to compel the master to sell their slave, thereby making it so the slave was no longer regarded by the law as a runaway. Okay. Because if they were a runaway, then they could be punished by the law. And okay. it was seen as a extreme sign of shame if your slave sought sanctuary at a statue of the emperor, it was pretty much like a slap in the face.
1: Like, you're such a monster that I have to do this extreme form of sanctuary. Yep. That I basically, I'm
0: like begging at the quote-unquote feet of the emperor to be freed from you because you're that awful. Dang. Quick way to get back at your master. I guess. Oof. In a book written by Carl Schumacher, titled Sanctuary and Crime in the Middle Ages, 400 to 1500 A.D., Mm -hmm. early Christians built off this concept of holy forgiveness to create the idea of a medieval sanctuary that we recognize today as the standard
1: sanctuary. Okay, so they kind of borrowed it from this other Roman. Yeah, they basically saw all the different quote-unquote
0: pagan Another thing we Christians took from the pagans. Yeah, they saw all these like pagan people doing this thing and they're like, we can do that and we're going to do it better than you.
1: Y'all are trash, but this is not a bad idea. So you know, I, think, I think I hear God saying that we should do that, too. Yeah. Do you hear that? Oh, yeah, I hear that. Do you hear Thanks. what I hear? Thanks, God. <laughs>
0: Charles states, quote, it would be inappropriate in the extreme to carry weapons into the church or to arrest someone or to exercise force within the church, end quote.
1: I get that, but at the same time, crusades. Yeah, but those weren't inside churches. They were for the church.
0: Yeah. By the end of the 4th century, sanctuary became a part of Roman imperial law, and even after the Western Roman Empire fell in 476 A.D., Churches continued to protect people even if they broke major laws, such as like murder.
1: But he's a Christian.
0: (laughs) The church was deeply suspicious of punishments put forth by the government. Many church leaders believed the Roman Empire was more concerned with punishing criminals than about restoring the moral balance. And that's what sanctuary was meant to do.
1: Ooh, Churches rebelling against the state hmm Interesting.
0: In 511 AD, during the reign of Clovis I, who was the first king of the Franks, the Council of Orleans decided that asylum could be granted to any who took refuge in a church, on church property, or at the home of a bishop. And this protection okay. also extended to murderers, thieves, and adulterers. You know, as you do. As you do. Yeah. In the Code of Laws from 693 A.D., Ina, king of the West Saxons, was quoted as saying if, quote, anyone accused of a capital offense flies to a church, his life shall be spared, and he shall make compensation according to justice, end quote.
1: So they still have to atone in some way. Mm -hmm. It's just not with their life. Correct. Like it normally would be.
0: Correct. Alfred the Great, king of Wessex, wrote another code of laws in 887 AD that stated three days of sanctuary were to be granted to anyone who fled to a church. Alfred is quoted as saying that St. Cuthbert, the patron saint of Northumbria, once appeared to him in a vision and sanctioned anyone who came to him seeking sanctuary would have peace for 37 days and nights.
1: Very specific.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Was it the saint's lucky number, I wonder?
0: I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Every measure was taken to ensure that no one violated anyone's right to sanctuary. Anyone who interfered with someone seeking asylum, including attacking and injuring the person, would have to pay the price set against the person's life. Not to mention one hundred and twenty shillings to the ministers of the church, which was a huge sum of money at that time in history.
1: Yeah, I bet.
0: it basically like bankrupt you.
1: So this is their way of like kind of also capitalizing on it.
0: Well, and ensuring that vigilante justice doesn't take place. Right. In the Germanic kingdoms, fugitives would be surrendered to authorities after swearing an oath that they would not be put to death. So when they sought sanctuary, the authorities would have to swear an oath, basically being like, yep, we recognize this person as a criminal and we're going to try them in a court of law, but we will not put them to death for their crimes. Okay. William the Conqueror defined clearly what the law of sanctuary would entail in 1070 A.D. The law stated that the privilege of sanctuary was meant to be temporary, and within the span of 40 days, the asylum seeker should endeavor to come to an agreement with their adversaries, if unable to do so, such as in the case of murdering somebody. Right. They had to appear before the coroner dressed in a sackcloth, confess to their crimes, and abjure the realm.
1: Sounds like Game of Thrones. Kind of, yeah. Shame. Shame. Shame.
0: Reginald of Durham described one of the first instances of sanctuary at Durham in the 12th century. A youth who served the Bishop of Durham was killed, and the one accused of the crime fled to the cathedral. Friends of the slain youth came to the cathedral and formed an armed guard at all the entrances and exits to the church. While the monks were at supper... Six armed men entered the church and two ascended the Shrine of Cuthbert, where they found the accused man praying. He was fatally wounded, which understandably caused quite a bit of outrage. Mm -hmm. The bishop absolved the accused man of his crimes, and the attacked man later went on to make a full recovery. One of the men who committed the attack fled instead of seeking sanctuary himself, and was later captured three miles away when his horse refused to go any farther.
1: Even his horse was like, man, you got to stop. Yeah, he was like, dude. I'm not about to get slashed for your description, like your problems, man. The man
0: was heavily ironed and placed in a below ground prison where he had to wait for trial before dying a horrible death. Mm -hmm. Christian churches officially adopted the practice of offering asylum in the dawn of the 14th century with the added benefit that they could offer criminals a chance to repent and even convert which was a win-win.
1: Oh, yeah. And more people to the team.
0: Mm -hmm. As Christianity began to spread across Europe, the practice spread along with it. Not only was the practice supported by the church, but several royals also honored the practice. Since the English are known for their precise and meticulous record-keeping, the sanctuary procedures used during that time have survived to this day and are as follows.
1: So they're still available today?
0: No but the records that they kept during that time have survived. Oh, okay.
1: I was like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So a felon could gain sanctuary by entering a church and requesting an officer of the crown, which was also known as a coroner, not Mm -hmm. to be confused with... Coroners of today. ...to arrive. Once an appointed officer arrived, the felon had to confess their crime, whether they had actually committed it or not, and were then placed under the protection of the church. Pursuers of the fugitive could lie and wait outside, but they were not allowed to enter the building to capture anyone. Interesting. Weapons were not allowed on church grounds, whether you were a fugitive or not. Once you entered the church to claim sanctuary, it was up to the church to protect you. You were not allowed to defend yourself by any means of force and were only allowed the use of a knife at meals. Otherwise, any other weapons you may have possessed prior to seeking sanctuary would be taken from you. Okay. So if you came in with like a giant broadsword, they'd be like, hey, that's ours now. Yep, you gotta put that down, Greg. Yep.
1: Okay, for now. For
0: now. Some cases required more specific actions, such as the ringing of a specific bell or sitting down on a frith stool, which was also known as a place of peace, as well as by grasping a special door knocker. A frith stool, which was usually constructed from stone, was typically placed near the altar in a church. Therefore, affording the person sitting absolute protection by the church. When a bell was rung, it made it known to all that someone had taken sanctuary. Nice. In the case of the door knocker, such as the one in Durham Cathedral or the one at Notre Dame,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you were declaring your need for sanctuary quite plainly. The door knockers were sometimes fashioned as that of a hell mouth which were sometimes designed as the head of a lion with its mane as a sort of halo, while the knocker portion was the legs of a man being eaten by a snake.
1: Right.
0: A hellmouth was typically used in medieval times to represent the entrance of hell as the huge jaws of some sort of monster. And you may be wondering, what the hell is such a creepy-ass door knocker doing on the side of a church? Right. Well, many illustrated stories of Christ deal with the concept of salvation. For example... Thanks to Christ's actions in hell, those who believe in Him were granted salvation and eternal life. Mm-hmm. So, as asylum seekers grasp the hellmouth door knocker requesting sanctuary, it was with the hope they would be reminded of the sacrifices made for them and encouraged them to follow Christ's example and seek atonement.
1: Interesting. Either that, or if you're that frantic, though, you're just going to touch it without looking at it mm-hmm. until you're waiting, and you're like, "Ooh, what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God."
0: In Durham, once a fugitive came to claim sanctuary, they would have to wear a black gown with the yellow cross of St. Cuthbert on the shoulder, and they were placed in a cell below the southwest tower until a coroner could arrive. They would be given food, drink, and bedding at the expense of the convent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: After entering the church, one would wait for a coroner to arrive before confessing their sins and saying, quote, I claim sanctuary, end quote. At that point, the coroner would record the exchange in the presence of a witness. A detailed account would be taken regarding the crimes that were committed, including dates, names of people, places, etc. If murder or manslaughter were committed, the weapon used to commit the crime also had to be noted.
1: This is more thorough than like most medieval trials at the time. Correct. This is like modern day, almost.
0: When the royal judges convened to press charges regarding the crime committed, the sanctuary claim would be added to the judicial record. In exchange for having their life spared, the criminal would abjure the realm, meaning in essence that they would swear an oath to exile themselves from England. Ooh. Criminals could avoid exile if they received a royal pardon, but receiving such was not only extremely difficult, but pretty much impossible. Awesome. Not surprised. Yeah. Abjuration was something unique to England, and Durham, as I've mentioned before, was a popular location due to the fact that it had regular access to a royal coroner, which allowed the process of sanctuary to go much faster. Once sanctuary was claimed, the coroner would decide whether the accused would have to submit to the legal system or abjure. The coroner would also decide which port the accused would abjure from. In addition to leaving England, the criminal would also have to forfeit any money, land, and possessions to the crown. Whoa. Yeah, you can't take anything with you.
1: That's extreme. Mm -hmm. So now here are the prices to pay for this quote-unquote fair
0: trial. The custom was that the criminal would wear the clothes of a penitent, which consisted of a simple tunic, no hat, and no shoes, and then proceed to the nearest port where ship captains were required to take them aboard and ferry them outside the country, most often to France or Ireland.
1: Okay, funny. Y'all are dirty, go to France (laughs) or Ireland. (laughs) The Irish will accept
0: you. It's fine. It's fine. Unfortunately for many who chose asylum and exile, wearing the clothes of essentially a religious zealot marked them as a criminal fleeing the country. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Many aboard the ships could cause the journey to be particularly difficult for the unwanted passenger, not to mention seeking to start anew in a different country with nothing to your name was less than ideal. Right. Even so, at least by choosing exile, you were more likely to live. Prisons were, in the medieval ages at least, basically death houses.
1: Yeah, yeah. Disease-ridden nightmare escapes. You didn't eat well and were just given
0: a bit of bread and water, not to mention disease ran rampant. Yeah. Many criminals died awaiting execution before they even left their cell.
1: Yep.
0: Not all who were exiled actually abjured the realm. Many fugitives never reached the port they were meant to and became victims of vigilante justice under the guise of having wandered, quote, too far off the beaten path, end quote, on the way to the ships.
1: Sure. Okay. Okay. The, the, none of this is actually the guarantee that they said it was.
0: Yeah. So basically, if people knew that you were on your way to a port to, like, leave.
1: They could just go to the port and get you.
0: Yep. Or if they knew what route you were taking, they could just lay and wait.
1: But it would be pretty easy to find the route, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Especially, I mean, I doubt that they really, like, mixed it up as far as what routes they took people to go to yeah. the nearest port. Mm-hmm. Others just fled full stop. Reverend W. Denton was noted as stating that sanctuary men sent from London to Dover, quote, frequently broke their promise to cross the Channel, betook themselves to the forest, and joined the bands of thieves who made the Greenwood of the Weald of Kent their home, End quote.
1: They joined a merry
0: band of thieves. Yep. The bulk of those seeking asylum were trying to escape from charges of theft and murder, which were punishable by death. Other crimes, such as arson and rape, would also be heard as crimes felon wished to atone for, not to mention ones as simple as running from debt collectors, being an accessory to a crime, or even just present when a crime was committed. All churches offered sanctuary within their walls, and some even extended the protective reach to areas around the church, which would be marked by monuments known as sanctuary crosses or sanctuary stones. Any church that extended the area of protection had to receive prior chartered approval from the king. In England alone, 22 churches, including Westminster Abbey, received such charters, thereby effectively allowing them to run completely autonomous of the king. Okay. The local lords would regulate the fugitives' activities and govern over them after receiving oaths of fealty. Makes sense. And just because one claimed sanctuary, that didn't mean you were safe. Yeah. Sanctuary was violated several times before its abolishment, and this was never more evident than in the case of Archbishop Thomas Becket, who was murdered by four knights inside Canterbury Cathedral in 1170 A.D., even after he'd claimed sanctuary. As a result, the public pushed for Becket's sainthood, and it severely damaged the reputation of King Henry II. Ooh.
1: So what did he do that made him so...
0: So it says in June of 1170... Or men crowned the heir apparent as Henry the young king at York. Mm-hmm. This was a breach of Canterbury's privilege of coronation. And in November of eleven seventy, Beckett excommunicated the three men that basically put Henry the Second into power.
1: Oh so he was a political rival, essentially.
0: Yes. So then so that's
1: why he had to die.
0: Yes. So then King Henry II He's quoted as saying, "Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest?" Uh, Which many took to be like a royal command to go and kill him.
1: Yeah. So yeah. then
0: he was assassinated as a result.
1: I can totally see that happening, especially yep. if somebody's trying to be in favor of the king,
0: yeah, or to prevent him from being placed into a seat of power. Yeah. The so Westminster Abbey sanctuary was first breached in 1378 AD. Not only was it breached, but someone was murdered. Yeah, not great. Not great. During one of Edward the Black Prince's many campaigns, two of his esquires, Frank de Hall and John Shackle, they captured a count. And it's not clear if he was from France or Spain. Like that okay. aspect has kind of been lost to time. Okay. Regardless, the count was friends with John of Gaunt. And John ordered the Esquires to release the Count, but they refused to do so. So John imprisoned both of them in the Tower of London, but they escaped and fled to Westminster. Once there, the pair made their way into the choir at the Abbey during High Mass to conceal themselves. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The two men were being pursued by the Constable of the Tower, Sir Alan Boxhall, as well as Sir Ralph de Ferrer and a group of 50 armed men. As the deacon was beginning to preach the gospel, the pursuers burst into the abbey. John Shackle escaped, but Frank De Hall was pursued. He fled Uh-oh. twice around the choir and received 12 stab wounds as a result before he fell dead in the front of the prior stall at the north entrance of the choir.
1: Man, that'd be quite the day at church.
0: Could you imagine?
1: <laughs> and then he just keeps running around while he keeps getting stabbed. Yeah, like I'm, j- I'm just picturing one guy just standing in place while he runs in circles around the choir and he just stamps him every time he's being like, stab,
0: stab, stab. I'm picturing, like, the Benny Hill music. Yeah. Like,
1: as, he's,
0: as he's like. <laughs> 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 oh, no. Which is horrible. because It is. The dude was stabbed to death. As a result of this, DeHall was viewed as a martyr and buried as one within the walls of the abbey. The abbey itself was closed for four months, and DeHall's two chief assailants were excommunicated from the church.
1: Yep, you can't sit with us.
0: Yep. The border of Durham was marked with crosses to denote it was a city that offered sanctuary. These crosses were at Jill's Gate and Neville's Cross, with two more further south. The significance of the crosses noted that once a fugitive crossed the border, they were able to claim sanctuary and make their way to the cathedral. Once there, they would take hold of the sanctuary ring on the outer door to alert the monks. And that's the one that has like the hell mouth thing. Yeah. It's a really cool marker. I bet. You should Google it.
1: Yeah, the whole like vacant eyes is a little creepy. Yeah. It just has holes for eyes and it has a human nose. Yeah. So this person has never seen a lion before. <laughs>
0: Essentially, fugitives would receive around 40 days to remain under the protection of the church, affording them time to set their affairs in order before preparing for their impending exile. Yeah. While on church grounds, their protection was absolute. Anyone who attempted to breach the walls of the church to enact vigilante justice against those seeking asylum would receive heavy penalties. Looks good, at least. Like, they could also be accused of having committed a felony and be arrested. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. If the asylum seeker refused to confess their crimes before a coroner within the 40 days and continued to remain in sanctuary, any person found providing them with food would be found guilty of committing a felony. Ooh. Because you'd basically be considered like aiding and abetting a criminal.
1: Yeah. So unless you were with the church doing it officially. Even if you
0: were a member of the church?
1: No, I mean like like the monk, right? Because didn't, didn't they get to... Feed them
0: and stuff if they tried to feed them after the 40 days of seeking sanctuary even the people in the church could be punished and committing a felony so it didn't okay. even matter if you were a member of the church
1: so after that after that time frame you were a criminal again yep and you basically had to leave Yeesh.
0: over the centuries the length of the sanctuary grace period went from 40 days all the way to an indefinite amount of time mm-hmm. and as you can Makes imagine sense having unlimited immunity to capital punishment was quite the attractive prospect for career criminals. Mm -hmm. Shoemaker noted in his book that some bands of criminals would flock to church safe houses and basically use them as bases of operations for their merry band of thieves. That's hilarious. Thereby capitalizing on the protection of the church to get away scot-free. Nice. Quote, we have evidence of the fugitives going out in marauding bands robbing shopkeepers, robbing others, then retreating back to these sanctuaries, end quote.
1: They're like, it's fine. Church has us. God has us.
0: Yep. The abuse via loophole of church sanctuary spelled the beginning of the end for asylum seekers. Sanctuary wasn't always followed exactly, and in some instances, the rules were bent. For example, in the 14th century, a London woman murdered a priest in his own church before trying Mm. to claim sanctuary.
1: Yeah, that's not going to work, lady. Officials
0: decided she couldn't claim sanctuary because she desecrated the church she'd tried to seek asylum at. Yeah. Yep. In other unusual cases, pursuers of the criminal would illegally remove them from church even after they'd been granted sanctuary or actually kill them in the church itself.
1: Okay. In
0: addition to those of the common class trying to abuse a sanctuary system, the rich and powerful of England also tried to do the same thing.
1: No! What?
0: What? Crazy. The earliest sanctuary seekers were the poor of England, but by the turn of the 15th century, many powerful royals attempted to avoid crimes they committed by claiming sanctuary as long as it suited their purpose. Of course. During the War of the Roses, which took place from 1455 to 1487 and spanned not only England, but Wales and Calais as well, those from the House of York and from the House of Lancaster would often be at odds with one another. When the losing side of their many battles realized their chances of winning were very slim, they would rush to the nearest church to claim sanctuary.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: A perfect example of this would be Queen Elizabeth Woodville who was the consort and eventual queen of King Edward IV of England. Okay. In 1470, House Lancaster was able to restore King Henry VI to the throne, deposing King Edward IV. At that time, Queen Elizabeth was living in London with several of her young daughters, before seeking asylum at Westminster, until Edward was once again crowned as the rightful King of England in 1471. At that time, she gave birth to their son, Edward V, but when Edward IV died 12 years later in 1483, Elizabeth once again fled to Westminster to seek sanctuary with her five daughters and youngest son, Richard, the Duke of York.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Until the practice officially ended in 1624, thousands of felons claimed sanctuary. Shoemaker noted that, quote, In some counties, as many as half of the recorded felonies would end in a sanctuary claim rather than a trial, end quote. Mm-hmm. In others, even up to two-thirds of the crimes were resolved with the granting of sanctuary. During the late 16th century, sanctuary was viewed as an act of forgiveness and charity by both the church and the crown. As the need for a more effectual criminal system continued to grow, it became apparent that the act of offering asylum to fugitives was only perpetuating the criminal acts themselves. Well... Right? (laughs) No. Instead of discouraging criminals from committing the acts in the first place. That
1: can't be right.
0: Nope. Never happens. One significant case of seeking sanctuary occurred between 1516 and 1520 at St. John's Priory. The priory was rather large and offered sanctuary to a number of criminals. Calls for reform were submitted to King Henry VIII, who declared that the kings and popes of old never intended for sanctuaries to be so grossly overused and set about abolishing the use of sanctuaries altogether. Hmm. The act of sanctuary took on a bit of a darker tone in 1529 when Henry VIII passed an act that directed a coroner to brand the confessor with a, quote, hot iron upon the brawn of the thumb of his right hand with the sign of the letter A, to the intent he might be the better known among the king's subjects to have abjured, end quote, immediately after they've confessed to their crimes.
1: Ouch. He was so good and nice, that King Henry VIII. Man, he did so much good for England. Yeah, he really wasn't a spiteful, terrible person at all. Not even close. And he
0: loved little girls. He loved having so many daughters. Uh, definitely wasn't a sociopath. Brought him so much joy. Serial killer. Narcissist. It's fine. It's fine. Henry VIII continued to pass several acts that dealt with persons who abjured the country and then taught foreigners, specifically those who tended to wage war with England, archery as well as disclose the secrets of the realm Mm. to prevent this an act was passed so that every person who chose to abjure had to go to a sanctuary of their choice within the realm and remain there until their natural death okay if the person chose to leave sanctuary without the king's pardon they could be tried for their original crime and be prohibited from continuing to receive the protective power that sanctuary granted them Those granted sanctuary had to wear a cognizance or a sort of emblem or symbol, quote, openly upon their upper garment of the Mm -hmm. compass in length and breadth of 10 inches, end quote, or else Mm. run the risk of losing their sanctuary privileges. If they left the church between sunset and sunrise, they could also lose their protection. In 1540, Henry VIII passed even more measures to limit those who could seek sanctuary for their crimes.
1: What? Not Henry. No. Mm. Those found
0: guilty of committing treason or who committed an act of piracy were exempt from seeking sanctuary. Henry took away the rights of all churches except for parish churches, their churchyards, cathedrals, hospitals, and the established sanctuaries of Wells, Westminster, Manchester, Northampton, Norwich, York, Derby, and Launceston. And basically, those were the towns that were like established as city sanctuaries. Mm -hmm. They could still act as sanctuaries, but any other church that didn't fall within those specific categories was no longer allowed to offer sanctuary. In the years leading up to 1624, when the standard sanctuary laws were officially abolished, the number of crimes that were eligible for claiming sanctuary began to dwindle until they were eliminated entirely. In a statute that was passed in 1540, the privilege of sanctuary was, quote, abolished in cases of willful murder, rape, burglary, highway robbery, or willful burning of a house or barn containing corn, end quote.
1: That's incredibly specific.
0: Yep. Okay. How dare you make that pop corn by starting it ablaze. All right. Places of sanctuary were also limited in the number of asylum seekers they could house. After that fact, only allowed 20 at a time. Yeah, because there were some places like the Priory I mentioned earlier that had like hundreds of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you cracked down.
0: Yep. The practice ended in 1624 when James I, quote, enacted that no sanctuary or privilege of sanctuary shall hereafter be allowed in any case, end quote. This didn't mean that those who were currently seeking sanctuary would suddenly be released. For okay. some asylum seekers, they were deemed too lawless to be reintroduced to society at large. So basically, if they were like a serial killer, they had to stay in sanctuary. Yeah. So they didn't re-offend. That's good. I mean, please don't. Yeah. Debtors were allowed to continue to live in a modified form of sanctuary under the reign of William III until an act of parliament abolished the practice entirely in 1697. Okay regardless of any legal right the church may have had to protect those guilty of committing crimes, which they didn't, Right. those who worked for the government and under royal law generally understood that to break into the church to hunt down a criminal would cause a political shitstorm.
1: No, well...
0: Which is why the practice went on for as long as it did. And that is the long history of practice of seeking sanctuary in England.
1: That was a lot of twists and turns.
0: Mm-hmm. I love how Henry VIII was the one that was like putting the most kibosh on the practice. Yeah.
1: He was like, this sucks. He's like, you know what? You want to do this? I'm going to burn an A into your hand so everybody knows that you're an asshat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was probably just like, I'm running out of people to murder. I want to execute more people, so I'm going to start slowly ending this process so I can execute more people because I love executing people.
1: I love being the worst person in the room, and you guys are not letting me do that. Yeah, I need to be able to kill more people.
0: It brings me so much joy. It's the only thing I got going for me. (laughs) I love blood. Since I ain't got no sons. I got to do something. So let me kill all these people.
1: And it was his fault.
0: Sorry. I mean, England, you have the best history of any country. Good job.
1: Sir. Sure. You're the best. <laughs> I going to have a keeper you down. <laughs> You're king. <laughs>
2: Hi, I'm Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold. If you are unfamiliar with my other podcast, I often cover stories from the television show Unsolved Mysteries. For the past five years, you've heard me talk about these cases on my own, but now's your chance to hear me have in-depth discussions about them with other people. I want to welcome you to my new project, The Path Went Chilly, where I will be discussing in-depth with my two good friends and co-hosts cases that I've covered on The Trail Went Cold. Meet my co-hosts. First one up is Jules.
0: Hi, I'm Jules from the podcast Riddle Me That True Crime, and I have a PhD in Transpersonal Counseling. I'm not a psychologist or a diagnostician, so don't get too excited, but I can't wait to analyze these cases with these two amazing humans. You've already met Robin, now meet Dr. Ashley Wellman.
1: Hi, I'm Ashley. I have a PhD in Criminology, Law and Society, and I specialize in trauma victims and survivors. I've spent a great deal of time working with families left behind after homicides with a cold case unit based out of Florida. And I'm also a professor of criminology. I'm so excited to be chatting with two of my best friends about the cases that everyone can't seem to get enough of.
0: We hope in doing so that we will have a clearer perspective of what may have transpired. Oftentimes, Ashley will be totally in the dark.
2: Jules and I will be telling Ashley a story she may not know much about, so all of her reactions are genuine.
0: We will be releasing on all major platforms April 8th. We hope you will join us as we attempt to heat up some ice cold cases.
2: The Path Went Chili will be available every Thursday on all major podcast platforms.
0: So this week's podcast plug is the Path Went Chili podcast. And this cool. show blends together three amazing hosts, Robin Warner from the Trail Went Cold podcast, mm-hmm. Dr. Jules from the Riddle Me That True Crime podcast, and criminologist Dr. Ashley Wellman each episode is an extensively researched deep dive into unsolved cases where the hosts piece together the facts and offer insights to try and uncover what really happened. Cool. So we will have a link to their show in the show notes. Nice. And this week's listener question comes from Ariel from the Malice Podcast. Okay. Hey. And she wants to know if you are going to be lured into a cult, what would be the clincher?
1: free insulin <laughs> I'd probably join just about any cult under the guise of free insulin. Yep. How about
0: you? Mine would be I'll join as long as I don't have to do any weird sex stuff I'm not cool with and be able to just read as much as I want. (laughs) I basically just want to just sit there and read by myself. (laughs) Right. Don't touch me. (laughs) Don't touch me unless I'm cool with it. Right. Keep that no kink shaming, but if I'm not into it, I'm not going to take part. Sorry.
1: Right. Well, consent and cults both start with a C, but they don't always (laughs) connect. Ah, alliteration! (laughs) Alliteration. (laughs) So, what's
0: something good you'd like to share this week?
1: Uh, I decided I wanted to tie-dye clothes. (laughs) The (laughs) nineties called, and they were like Maddie. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I was looking, and I didn't have, I didn't have any like good like ratty t-shirts to like work in the garden or clean or do something like that. And I was like, oh, I'll just buy like a pack of shirts. And then I was like, this is boring. I want to make them colorful. So then when I make them dirty, like you kind of can't tell. Yeah, And they turned out pretty cool. So it's awesome. I'm excited. It was a nice, it was a fun little project and I got to do it in the sunshine and Willie was sitting next to me with his goat man toy. I don't know if you guys, if, if, if any of you have a Target near you, it's a Boots and Barkley toy and it's this weird goat man and it makes like a pig squeak. It's one of those like, ah, noises. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, 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 but instead of like a squeak. And it's his favorite. Like he will, he'll pick it out every time and he has to carry it out of the store himself and he cuddles with it. And usually like he doesn't murder it right away. Mm-hmm. He'll cuddle with it for a couple of days. Then he'll rip its like vocal cords out <laughs> and then he'll continue to cuddle it for like another month. <laughs> he's like, he's like, no, that you're silent. I love you more. <laughs> And that's just, he, he carries it everywhere. Like he carries it to bed. Uh, if we're leaving to for him to work, he sometimes brings it so he can cuddle with it in the car. Oh, you'll have yeah. to send me a picture
0: of what it looks like so we can post it on social. Yeah, goat man. So people know what the goat man looks like.
1: What's something good for you this week? So
0: it'll be the previous week when this episode comes out. I got to bridge my. Girl Scout troop from daisies into brownies, which is mm-hmm. the next level, and it's for girls that are in second and third grade. And I really hate public speaking; like that's something that kind of gives me hives, right? And so I was super anxious about it, like the entire day before. It kept me up till like one in the morning. I was freaking out about it.
1: I bet. And I think
0: it went okay. Like it was fun for the girls. It was fun for me. There were a lot of cupcakes. We ended up having nice. to take half of them home.
1: You had cupcakes for brownies?
0: Yeah. Well, each of the girls got their own little set of brownies with these cute little pictures of little like cutout girls in brownie uniforms and stuff. It was really cute. Cute. So that was a kind of a fun way to like end the Girl Scout year.
1: Yeah. So when does that pick back up then? When the school year starts. Okay.
0: You can find us online at eolcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. You can find us on YouTube. We'll have a link in the show notes, but you can also find us by searching for Yield Crime Podcast. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If you'd like to send us something in the mail, which is a strange
1: concept.
0: (coughs) You can do so at our P.O. Box, which is Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. You can also email us at Yield Crime Podcast at jmail.com. Send us your questions, send us gifts. You can also send us story requests if you Mm -hmm. have found an interesting topic that you're like, I want to hear more about that. Feel free to put it our way.
1: I want to hear about it, but I don't want to do the research. Let's do it for you. I will do
0: it gladly. Just remember, it has to be pre-1900 or I'm not going to touch it. Sorry. Right. No sanctuary here. Sanctuary. Um, If you'd like to support the show, but can't do so financially, leave us a five-star rating or review, like Elise260692 from Australia did on Apple Podcasts.
1: What? She
0: says, awesome, well-researched show, five stars. You can tell so much effort goes into each episode. I love hearing about older cases I've never heard about prior. Thank you. If you would like to support us financially, but can only do so once, which I get it, You can Mm -hmm. leave a one-time donation on Buy Me A Coffee. You can also join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month to enjoy early ad-free content. We also have extra bonus content such as outtake videos, links to some of the guest spots we've done on other podcasts and some other fun perks. Mm Depending on what level you join at. And you can also enjoy a sale at our Tea Public shop this week. Enjoy 35% off everything in the store, June 23rd to 27th. Nice. And as we've said before, this month all proceeds will be donated to Outright Action International, mm-hmm. who fights for the human rights of the LGBTIQ people everywhere around the world. Go Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. So there's
1: all this crime! <laughs> <laughs> what? what just happened? Like a giant ant! <laughs> it was on my arm! Oh, <laughs> they so red. I'm stressed out. Oh, God. Die! God! Die, 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 die. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> Oh my god! It was huge. It was like that big, like all black, and it looked like an ant. But like, where? I'm on the top floor. Like, what? I'm so stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. Okay. All right. Well. That was fun. <laughs>